0: Two, three, four. Two, three, four. hello fellow law nerds welcome to another episode of boom lawyered a rewire.news podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that is literally obsessed with outlander <laughs> And 18th century Scottish porn. And I'm telling you people, if you haven't watched the show,
1: I demand you immediately watch it. She really does. I'm Imani (laughs) Gandy. And I'm Jess Piccolo. Rewire.news is dedicated to bringing you the best reproductive rights and social justice news, commentary, and analysis on the web. And the Team Legal podcast is part of that mission. So a big thanks to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners.
0: You know, Jess, what I was just thinking the other day? Being an abortion provider is such an easy and safe job. Um, Amani, I'm sorry, what? Well, you know, here you have these medical professionals that help pregnant people often in times of dire crisis and need. And they are resoundingly thanked for it. The media thanks them. The general public <laughs> thanks them. Plump grandmas thank them. Everyone celebrates abortion providers. Every time they go to work, they are just greeted by people who have surrounded their clinic in order to lay praise at their feet. Amani, um,
1: did did you hit your head? What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm a little worried about you because you're saying some pretty strange things right now. I mean, why
0: else would people gather at abortion clinics to chant and hold signs if not to tell the world, we support pregnant people and their right to reproductive autonomy, and we
1: thank the doctors that make it possible? Amamani, um, no, that's not what they do. <laughs> it's not? No, it's not in the slightest. In fact, being an abortion provider in this country is extremely dangerous, and some of the people who surround these clinics are prone to violence.
0: But remember that case, McCullen v. Coakley, that SCOTUS case from a few years ago, Mm -hmm. how the court said that the throngs of people at abortion clinics were just plump grandmas there to gently sidewalk counsel pregnant people entering clinics, you know, just to provide them support and love and
1: chocolate chip cookies and stuff. Yeah, except that's not how it actually goes. It's usually more like a bunch of fanatics screaming baby killer and don't you murder your baby and such. But Jess, the court said they were just plump
0: grandmas (laughs) and plump grandmas make cookies and they
1: knit you sweaters. They don't scream at you and call you baby killer. Well, that's the thing. These people aren't plump grandmas and the attorneys in the McCullen case carefully picked the plaintiffs so the court would see plump grandmas and not the usual people who surround abortion clinics shouting like maniacs. So you're telling me Uh that the people who surround these clinics
0: aren't the nicest people in the world, intent on showing their gratitude towards abortion doctors who provide necessary abortion care to pregnant people who need it? I really am. Are you telling me that in reality, these protesters are mostly a bunch of screaming right-wing assholes who want to repress pregnant people and turn women into brood mares, forcing them to maintain unwanted pregnancies? Is that what you're telling me, Jeff? (laughs)
1: Yep, Amani, that is pretty much what I am saying. There are actually clinic escorts whose sole job is to escort pregnant people through the hordes of assholes who are screaming in their faces and calling them all sorts of horrible names. And that's why some cities have enacted bubble zones. What's a bubble zone? A bubble zone is basically a safe space surrounding clinics and patients. They prevent protesters from getting up in people's faces as they're trying to enter clinics. They're also intended to address the rampant violence that clinic workers and patients face as they try to access abortion care. There were reports last month that there were three different men arrested for planning attacks on abortion clinics across the country.
0: And this is happening right as the Roberts court is considering taking a case that would make it easier for protesters to harass providers and patients. There is a case sitting at the Supreme Court right now called Veronica Price versus City of Chicago. And the case is a dispute over Chicago's bubble zone. Anti choicers are arguing that it's a First Amendment violation and that they have the right to get up in people's faces and scream that they're baby killers. Okay, well, that's not exactly the argument that
1: they're making, Imani.
0: <laughs> well, okay, fine. I guess we should explain to our listeners what arguments they actually are making. So let's talk about bubble zones and the First Amendment. And the First Amendment. <laughs> All right,
1: Jess, where do we begin? What, where do we begin with talking about all of this? So here we're talking about a Chicago law that creates a bubble zone around abortion clinics in the city. Now, let's walk through it because it's a little strange. A bubble zone here is a 50-foot radius from the entrance of the clinic, and that creates an area where people are prohibited from intentionally coming closer than 8 feet to anybody who is entering that clinic Unless they are given permission. And they can't approach them, quote, for the purpose of passing a leaflet or handbill. Speaking of your 18th century fascination right now, we're talking (laughs) leaflets and handbills, Amani, And (laughs) broadsheets. Posting no bills. A leaflet or handbill to display a sign or engaging in oral protest, education, or counseling with such other person.
0: This seems perfectly reasonable to me, right? Like a 50-foot radius, you can't come within eight feet of pregnant people who are just trying to enter a clinic and want to do so without people screaming at them and calling them baby killers. Why is this not reasonable?
1: Well, the attorneys from the Thomas More Society who are representing the challengers in this case say it's a violation of their free speech rights. They claim the bubble zone law regulates speech based on its content, which is an objection to abortion. And they say that makes it subject to strict scrutiny. And under a strict scrutiny analysis, the bubble zone law can't survive.
0: Uh, So you should probably explain what
1: strict scrutiny means again to our listeners just to be safe. Sure. We've talked about it a couple times, but this is a complicated test. It's always good to go over it. So strict scrutiny is the standard the courts use to judge the constitutionality of some kinds of government action, like laws that try to regulate First Amendment conduct, like protests. Now, the government can regulate constitutionally protected conduct, but it has to have a very good reason to do so. And courts test that reason using the strict scrutiny test. Basically, if a law is regulating a fundamental right, that law must be narrowly tailored to meet a compelling government interest. Right. So we often talk about strict scrutiny in the context of race discrimination and equal protection claims, right, Amani? Like when we're talking about violating um, or laws that discriminate on the basis of race. That's strict scrutiny. But it applies to things like free speech, too. It's the highest standard of law must meet to be considered constitutional.
0: So in February of 2019, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals in this Veronica Price case held that the bubble zone in Chicago was constitutional. And in making that ruling, it pointed to a Supreme Court case
1: called Hill versus Colorado as precedent. Okay, so Hill versus Colorado is a 2000 Supreme Court decision that upheld by a six to three vote a Colorado law that restricted demonstrations around healthcare facilities. So let's talk about that law. The law in Colorado said that protesters couldn't come within 100 feet of any facility entrance generally. The law also prohibited protesters from approaching people within eight feet. So they couldn't come up to a patient without their consent up to eight feet for the purposes of demonstrating at them, which is a funny way to describe it, but that's how the law does. And so those were activities that were more or less what the plaintiffs in McCullen characterized as sidewalk counseling, right? You couldn't come up and start to say like, oh, I'm going to walk and talk and pray with you while you are going to the clinic. Right. I'm going to walk
0: and talk and pray with you as you go to murder your baby, essentially (laughs) is what these people are doing. So, But let's talk about McCullen because you mentioned McCullen and sidewalk counseling. Yes. So McCullen refers to McCullen versus Coakley, which is a case I mentioned earlier in the upfront. And this is the so-called plump grandma case, right? Yep. And these are apparently plump grandmas who are telling pregnant people as they're entering clinics that you know abortion is murder, and why are you killing your baby? And we're going to get into that a bit, and we're going to get into how cynical the attorneys who litigated the McCullen case were by proffering these quote unquote plump grandmas as some sort of, you know, indication that that's how all sidewalk counseling goes. You know, all sidewalk counseling is just happy little grandmas and not exactly fanatics who are just screaming at vulnerable people. But. Set that aside for a minute. Let's talk about bubble zones. What did the court say about bubble zones?
1: Well, in Hill versus Colorado, the court upheld a bubble zone, effectively. I mean, what we're looking at in Chicago here, almost identical. And in that decision, the court said that restrictions on speech and speech activities like protesting are constitutional so long as they're content neutral, right? So they have to be content neutral, and then also that they need to be narrowly tailored to serve a significant government interest. That sounds pretty familiar. We just talked about that test. Right. To leave open ample channels of communication, right? This is a court articulating that free speech is a really important fundamental concept, and here's how we're going to go about regulating it.
0: And we've talked about free speech a lot on, these, on this podcast before. We did a, an episode about Bakers' and boobs, remember? Mm-hmm. about oh, yeah, about the woman who was protesting topless. I think that
1: was also in Chicago. That was Colorado. It was Fort Collins, Colorado. <laughs> But there was a Chicago case, too, because it was a Seventh Circuit. There was a split. So, yeah,
0: right. Go team. Yeah, Go team. Look at us. But, you know, the idea of what constitutes expressive conduct, walking around topless to protest laws is expressive conduct. That's what the, you know, the boobs cases were about. We also talked about that case where the rapper... Um, Mm -hmm. that amazing episode when you did those rap lyrics. You know,
1: we talked about... Got the artillery to shake the motherfucking streets. Got the
0: artillery to shake you... (laughs) you, What is it? You crazy bitches can't handle my riches or something. But, you know, we talked about whether or not... Rap lyrics constitute a threat or whether or not it's free speech, right? Mm-hmm. We also talked about the NIFLA case, the Crisis Pregnancy Center case, yes. the out of California. And we talked about whether or not posting notices about the uh, availability of family planning services was a violation of the free speech rights of these fake clinics who mm-hmm. want to lie to pregnant people and lure them into their you know, trap of fuckery. So we've talked, (laughs) you know, you know, the fuckery traps that are just, you know, about, out and about. About, listen to you, you are really going into this. Honestly, (laughs) I've I've started speaking in Scottish, like 18th century slang. It's really weird. I'm like, I didn't ken what you're talking about. I mean, what the fuck is wrong with me? I'm obsessed with this show. But at any rate, just to talk about sort of these tests, you know, we've often talked about these mushy tests that lawyers love. So I want to go over the tests for free speech just just to make sure. So the 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 main test is that the regulation, the free speech regulation mm-hmm. must be within the constitutional power of the government. Also, that regulation must further an important or substantial government interest. Also, also, <laughs> lawyers also, also, all the time. So many also's that governmental interest must be unrelated to the suppression of free expression. And then also to coming <laughs> I'm going to palinize this shit. Also too, <laughs> the restriction on the alleged First Amendment freedoms must be no greater than essential to further the government interest. So basically, governments can restrict speech, but they have to have a damn good reason for doing so. Mm -hmm. They must do it in a content neutral way. And they must do it in such a way that does not infringe on the First Amendment any
1: more than is necessary to advance that government interest. And in Hill versus Colorado, the majority ruled that the Colorado bubble zone struck the right balance. So let's walk through it. First, the court said that the state had a compelling interest in protecting its citizens from unwanted communication. Good grief. That's like a radical concept <laughs> in and of itself right What? Now. You mean like people can't just come up to me and yell in my face that I'm
0: per- per- perpetuating
1: black genocide or some nonsense? For Seriously. So so the court said that the state had that compelling interest, but it also couldn't curtail that communication entirely. And so it's balancing. It said that speakers have the right to persuade. Also, though, listeners have the right to be left alone. Yeah. So Hill said that the bubble zone was a regulation of where people could speak, not what speech could occur. And the court also said that it was narrowly tailored as a time-place manner restriction. And that's something that we also talked about in the Bakers and Boobs uh, podcast episode, uh, what time-place and manner restrictions are. And it was one because the... the signs that someone could could hold up or they could still shout, like basically they could still get their message across without having it be immediately in someone's face. And also the bubble zone creates the ability of a protester to get permission to approach someone, which is not this like overly suppressive idea, right? Hey, can I approach you? Yes, you may. Okay, then approach. Like right, that's- it's like,
0: it's a consent issue, right? I mean, exactly. it's, it's, it's like, it, there are there may be some, Patients entering clinics who might want to be sidewalk counseled by a plump grandma, and I mean actually by someone who's trying to approach this in a compassionate way because there actually are people who do try to do that. But unfortunately, the large majority of these protesters are just screaming on bullhorns and yelling at poor people, you know, these poor pregnant people. Well, not poor monetarily. I just mean poor as in a like just
1: empathetic we feel for all of the situation.
0: Exactly. Just yelling at people who have already made a decision. And who needs that? You know, who? Imagine if you were just going to the doctor to get a flu shot and there was someone screaming in your face, flu shots are baby killers. I mean, (laughs) it's. Just like it we're doesn't like
1: shades from there
0: and it doesn't make any sense and it's just irrational and it's frankly, it's cruel if you ask me. Yes. So in, in Hill versus Colorado, Scalia dissented along with mm-hmm. Kennedy. God, I'm still mad at you, Tony, and Clarence Thomas. Mm-hmm. Rehnquist joined the liberals, which was kind of weird. And I'm pretty sure that we're not going to see Roberts do the same thing. Should the court take this particular case? So let's talk about Scalia's dissent for just a minute. Basically, Scalia, in his colorful way, essentially said that this is all bullshit (laughs) and you're regulating speech. You're actually regulating speech because the only people that are protesting outside abortion clinics are protesting abortion. So even though it's ostensibly content neutral, Mm -hmm. pragmatically and in reality, it's targeting people
1: who are protesting abortion. So here's the thing with Scalia's descent, and this is something that happens with Scalia. I agree with him here in concept. Like, what? I think it is. Ah!
0: Did you just I say know. you agree with Scalia?
1: <laughs> I'm going to light a candle and burn some sage after we record this. Don't worry. <laughs> But, no, but I do in concept. And I think, you know, Imani, you and I have talked about this in, in ter- when we were talking about this case in terms of the difference between like something being true as a matter of fact and something being true as a matter of law. So it is true as a matter of law, for example, that the bubble zone is content neutral because if you were opposing vaccines, for example, you still couldn't approach people without their consent around these facilities. Just because you were choosing to protest a different issue than abortion, you still within, you fall within that ambit. So it's content neutral. Right. But Scalia's got a point. Like the reason these laws get passed, the reason that that we are having this conversation is because people are with very specific anti-abortion messages going to very specific places and getting in people's faces in very specific ways. So it's like when your parents fight. I hate to see it. <laughs> like <laughs>
0: I feel for you. I mean, there have been times in the past where I've read a Clarence Thomas decision and been like, Oh my god, I agree with him and then I feel like I have to take a shower.
1: <laughs> it happens. You know, broken clock is right twice kind of thing. But sincerely though, I think it's a there's a nugget of real truth in Scalia's point, um, which hurts to say, but is true that, you know, if we're we just need to be, I think, transparent in what is in what's going on here. And sometimes we're our side is always that great about it. Anyway. I'm done agreeing with Scalia. Let's move on. (laughs) Let's never do that again. (laughs) So
0: let's talk about why this case actually matters. You know, let's tell our listeners, why are we even talking about this?
1: So I mentioned, we talked a little bit about the fact that Chicago's ordinance is virtually identical to the Colorado law that the court upheld in Hill versus Colorado. So that means really we shouldn't even be talking about it as a legal fight, but here we are. And that's because of those three dissents in Hill versus Colorado that basically outlined the objection and now a a belief that the tides on the court have turned and that now is an opportunity to strike while the iron is hot. And really um attack the last remaining protest protections around abortion clinics and reproductive health care facilities
0: and essentially, this is just another example of conservatives seeing a shift in the balance of power on the court, yep, and so now they 're just taking a stab at overturning a law that they disagree with, and the consequences of that could be deadly and i And, and when I say deadly i 'm not being hyperbolic, yeah, they can be deadly last year, for example. Violent crime against abortion clinics hit a record high, according to the National Abortion Federation. Um, Providers, for example, reported 1,369 violent acts against their clinics in 2018. Good grief. But 1,369, and that is up from 1,081 in 2017. And, you know, and we have to talk about, you know, a little bit about the Uh, Center for Medical Progress, right? And Uh, they're, you know... I mean, I don't want it, but we do. You're right. Nobody wants to. But the whole Planned Parenthood is killing babies and selling baby brains on the black market for pennies on the dollar. I mean, a lot of this resurgence in clinic violence is a a direct effect of those videos that were published by David DeLayden in 2015. I mean, the uptick in violence was dramatic, And the fact that there are anti-choicers who are denying that fact is really worrisome because A, it shows that they're out of touch at, at minimum, or B, that they're really kind of looking forward to and excited about the fact that clinic workers and patients are in more danger because of people who want to, for example, firebomb Planned Parenthood clinics.
1: And that's not just like a random accusation that there is a connection. You know, this that violence happened in my backyard here in Colorado, right? Colorado Springs Planned Parenthood was one of the targets of um, uh, violent action by Robert Louis Deere. I covered his initial hearing. I was in the courtroom for an entire day when in for his first appearance. And he said very clearly that, you know, Planned Parenthood was selling baby parts. Baby parts came out of that man's mouth. And right. if you don't think that he got that language from the entire media blitzkrieg of Planned Parenthood is selling baby parts, then you were under a rock or are being willfully ignorant about it. And I get hepped up about that because, yeah, I mean, my my community here felt felt that acutely and we still do. He's still hasn't been on, you know, he's still incompetent, not on trial. and And it's scary. It's really scary.
0: It is scary. And that's, you know, Colorado Springs is not the only example of this sort of violence that is running rampant in this country when it comes to abortion providers. Um, There are other incidents of disruption, stuff like hate mail, uh, obstruction, picketing, arson. You know, all of these things hit a record high in 2018 with abortion providers reporting over 100,000 incidents across the country. So this is a real crisis that we're in. And it's a real problem. I mean, the abortion providers are under siege and... Mm -hmm. The courts and the government doesn't seem to care enough to do anything about it.
1: And if folks want to get a good, like, actual visual representation of what this lo- looks like, I highly recommend they check out the documentary that Rewire.News did, Care and Chaos, that followed protests at a clinic in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is... I mean, you can we we can tell people how terrible it is. It is an entirely different thing to have, for example, the experience of hearing protest on amplification through clinic walls into exam rooms. It's chilling and terrifying. Anyway, go check it out because it will give you a very real and sober sense of of what folks are up against.
0: And you know, it's not, and it's never ending, right? Like it's right. still going on. Uh, just a, just a few weeks ago, last month, there were three arrests of these dudes who were threatening violence at clinics against patients and providers. So this is an ongoing problem, and this is a problem that needs to be addressed. So I find it particularly alarming that the Supreme Court may be in a position to just say, it's a fucking free-for-all. Let these protesters get up in people's faces and... You know, you get a bunch of protesters gathered around a clinic and they just amp each other up and there is going to be someone in that crowd who is a little bit unhinged, who is going to take matters into their own hands and kill someone. You know, Dr. Tiller, for example, was murdered in church by someone who was all riled up by this sort of anti-choice, anti-abortion, um, anti-provider rhetoric.
1: And one of those recent arrests that you mentioned includes a guy in Illinois where the Scheidlers are from. And the Scheidlers are plaintiffs challenging the Chicago bubble zone. And we're gonna talk about them more in a minute. But before we get to them, Amani, whose fault is this? I'm really mad now. Like I'm I'm I need I You need someone to
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you whose fault it is. It's, it's the plump grandma's fault. It, right. God, it's just back yeah. to this whole plump grandma canard uh, in 2014. The Supreme Court in McCullen versus Coakley unanimously ruled in favor of clinic protesters, in favor of these people who are up in people's faces and struck down as unconstitutional Massachusetts bubble zone law. Uh, But, you know, the case McCullen versus Coakley, which I talked about earlier, that's the plump grandma case. Eleanor McCullen was chosen as the face of the lawsuit and the clinic protest movement specifically because of how she looked and how she presented herself. She was this very nice, plump grandma and she wasn't one of those screaming white dudes with a bullhorn. She she was just more of an empathetic plaintiff. And so you know, I got to hand it to the attorneys that they picked the right plaintiff to put before the Supreme Court to engender that sort of empathy.
1: It is really a very cynical but effective lawyering move because what it did was effectively reframe the public understanding of what the anti-choice protest movement is and has been historically. It erased the history of clinic sieges and the need for the FACE Act. That's the federal law that protects clinic entrances because throngs of protesters would go in and handcuff themselves to gurneys, for example. It completely erases that. Who are those people who would, you know, get arrested by the tens of thousands in Wichita and literally be threatening providers in their faces? These are just women who want to pray. And it worked. And I mean, it worked in part because I think that there was a conservative majority on the court that was willing to buy into that mythology. But it worked, I think, in in the 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 image that the public has now, because again, here we are having this conversation when this should be done. It should be done.
0: And let's just talk about a little bit about that Massachusetts
1: law that
0: was at issue in McCullen versus Coakley. That Massachusetts law was passed in response to the 1994 murders of two abortion clinic workers. Their names were Shannon Elizabeth Lowney and Leanne Nichols. On December 30th, 1994, a man named John C. Salvey entered a Planned Parenthood clinic in Brookline, Massachusetts, pulled a rifle from his bag, and fatally shot Dr. Lowney in the neck. He then continued to shoot up the waiting room, just injuring three other people. Uh He then left Planned Parenthood and headed to Preterm Health Services, which is a clinic that was a few miles away from the original clinic when he went on this siege. Mm -hmm. And there he shot and killed receptionist Leanne Nichols and wounded two other staffers. So within an hour of these murders, a woman called the Planned Parenthood Clinic and told a staff person there, get this, you got what you deserved. Jesus. I mean, how is it possible that the Roberts court looked at this evidence and said, eh, plump grandmas?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, that it's not like these laws are getting passed just because you know what the city council doesn't have anything to do, the state of Massachusetts doesn't have anything to do. And hey, let's go protect abortion providers. They're real, you know, proactive that way. Good grief, right? So the Roberts court in McCollen actually had the chance to overrule Hill. But it chose instead to punt and basically said that the Massachusetts law was just too broad in regulating clinic protests. It just did too much. It was too big a swatch. And now at the time, there was a lot of speculation that the Roberts court got that unanimous decision because, I mean, unanimous, right? You got RBG on this. You've got Justice Sotomayor on this. And I just want to
0: I just want to jump in for a minute because, you know, I asked you this earlier on Slack. I just, you know, after reading both of those cases, I cannot square, I mean, I'm a pretty smart person, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. I cannot square in my head how it is the court ruled in McCullen that Massachusetts bubble zone law was unconstitutional in light of Hill versus Colorado. Now, I understand that the bubble zone in Hill was smaller than the bubble zone in Massachusetts, But it doesn't even seem from my reading of the Supreme Court cases that the radius of the bubble zone was really the issue. So I literally am having difficulty squaring those two decisions. And if I'm having difficulty, because, again, I'm pretty damn intelligent, I'm sure that our intelligent listeners are also having difficulty. So can you just explain how you square those
1: circles? I mean, I will do my best, but the reality is it's it it, it has the feelings of a political decision or a compromise, right? Um, because there are a lot of inconsistencies intellectually in the approach, and there's just no getting around that. but effectively, what the court said in McCullen was, if you're gonna draw a protest zone, you cannot just draw a blanket protest zone the difference was apparently what they said the ability to ask people to come in and the sort of floating bubble we will see if they meant that if they if the court takes that case it's
0: depressing
1: yeah i'm finding it
0: depressing so let's talk about veronica price versus city of chicago who
1: is challenging the chicago ordinance the chicago bubble zone well, professional anti-choice clinic protesters, that's who. We mentioned the Scheidlers earlier, so let's talk about them. Let's let our listeners know who they are. Ann Scheidler's one of the plaintiffs here, and she is the wife of the notorious anti-choice activist Joe Scheidler. He's a peach. He formed the Pro-Life Action League. Their goal is to, quote, end legal abortion, obviously, as it always is. But part of that strategy is by going to clinics and trying to harass them into closing with a sustained protest presence. So it's not just someone doing a one-off thing. This is a strategy designed to harass clinics into closure.
0: And this is something that they do, you know, that there are these protests, right? The Summer of Mercy, for example. Yes. I mean, there are these yearly protests where the people descend upon certain clinics and just protest for what, 40 days straight? I mean, it's just, this is not something that is going to go away. And the fact that the Supreme Court is poised to allow this behavior to continue is very concerning to me. So, as our resident SCOTUS whisperer, What's going to happen next? Like, can mm-hmm. you give me something to hang on to, something to believe in?
1: Snow, that's a <laughs> lot of pressure
0: <laughs> That reaction was classic. You're like i <laughs> you." Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a lot of pressure. I mean, I'll do my best. Okay, so first things first, um, the Supreme Court's going to consider taking this case during their first conference of the year, which, oh my God, Amani, that's coming up. That's Tuesday, October 1st. We are already like in Supreme Court banana land. Um, So... Here we are with the Supreme Court. Everything is anybody's best guess, so they could always decide last minute to take the case off the conference. But, you know, this is a pretty direct request. I think at some point they're going to take a look at it this term. So if the court were to decline to take the case, then that means the Seventh Circuit decision that said Chicago's bubble zone that is constitutional, that would remain in effect. And that's good news, Um, not just for Chicago, but for all of the other places that currently have protest protections in place. If the court decides to take the case, then I think we know what would happen here, right? Why would they be taking the case? I doubt is it is to reaffirm Hill versus Colorado and say that they love abortion protest zones, right? Like yeah, yeah. I think it would be to that they are indicating their plan to overturn Hill versus Colorado, and that would probably set off the domino effect. We would see should they do that challenges to other uh, abortion clinic protest protections uh, across the country. So it is real important.
0: And so in the meantime, while this battle is taking place at the Supreme Court, clinics are vulnerable. They remain vulnerable. The uptick in violence is just, it's astonishing, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And we have a Department of Justice that just doesn't give a shit, right? They are absolutely apathetic. They have no interest in, I mean, not only protecting abortion providers and abortion clinics, they have no interest in protecting the civil rights of pretty much anyone, so it's just a scary time. We are living in a very, very scary time. And, you know, as always, we like to try to end these episodes with an action item because, yep. you know, it's, it's depressing sometimes listening to these episodes and feeling helpless. So what, what, what can people do about it if they want to get involved?
1: Well, it's never a bad time to support your clinics and abortion funds, right? So, I mean, first and foremost, financially support them. If you can't financially support them, send them a little note that says, you're doing great work. Thank you. I mean, that really makes a difference. Yeah. Um, And ask about clinic defense work if you think you can be helpful in that way. And I really say if you think you can be helpful that way, because I know I could not be helpful in that way. For example, I would not and I do not have the temperament to make a good clinic escort. Some people do, and I am very grateful and thankful for those people. And if you think you might be one of them and that is something that is interesting to you, then investigate opportunities to get involved with clinic escorting because um, that is important and appreciative work.
0: It is. And I just want to give a shout out to the many people out there who are doing that work. I mean, I have crippling anxiety. So there's just really no way that I could be surrounded by throngs of people. But I I know people (laughs) who also have crippling anxiety and they do it anyway. So I think that there are, I I think that people who provide abortions are heroes and doing the Lord's work, such as it were. And I think people who are spending their Saturdays escorting people into clinics so that they can get abortion care and they can feel safe in doing so, I think those people are heroes as well.
1: And one more thing. I think that we can have folks, um, you know, agitate and advocate on uh, the local basis. Tell your if you live in a city that has a clinic that does not currently have um, any kind of protection zone or any kind of ordinances or, you know, go to your city council meetings. Let them know that that is something that is important, that abortion rights and reproductive health care is not something that should be bullied into um, and out of existence in your community. So I know we're trying to do that here where I live and, and do that where you can or where you live if you can, too.
0: Ah, well, it's nice to end the episode on somewhat of an upbeat note, something to give people to do, I guess. Yeah, we can. (laughs) So that's going to end this episode for us today. Uh, You can continue to talk to us about bubble zones or anything else repro law related on Twitter. I'm at Angry Black Lady. Jess is at Hegemony, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. You can follow Rewire.News at Rewire underscore news. And you can join our Facebook group. Join our Facebook group. Answer the questions. Talk about Brad McBeer. It's all fantastic. We've got something like 1.3 thousand members in our facebook group now which is mind-boggling to me yay all of you good job folks honestly i'm so pleased to have turned so many people into law nerds it really does warm my heart quite a bit
1: think i just got like giddy thinking about all the people who are now learning about the administrative procedures act (laughs) oh for god's sake
0: OK, all right. We better settle down before Jess. Jess has to go take a cold shower now. Um, but you know what? We're just going to go ahead and see you on the tubes. Right, Jess? <laughs> we will see you on
1: the tubes. Boom Lawyered is created and hosted by Jessica Mason Piccolo and Imani Gandhi. This episode was produced by Mark Folletti, who is also our executive producer. And the Rewire.News editor-in-chief is Jody Jacobson.